This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Well, yes, of course, I'm surprised when one of my colleagues uh, has been uh, arrested. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a very serious matter indeed. Does this threaten to derail what you're talking about here in Parliament this afternoon? It certainly is not helpful, uh, of course. I wanted to, and I will, I'm still determined, of course, uh, to articulate what my vision is uh, as a new leader and a fresh start uh, for uh, the government. So I'll still do that, of course, and I hope that uh, we can move on to speak about those issues. But uh, look, I'm not going to take away from the fact that the timing of this is far from ideal. Now, the police are obviously investigating past activities in the SNP. Can you guarantee that the party isn't operating in a criminal way right now and since you became leader? Oh, certainly. I don't believe it is at all. Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. I'm Callum McDonald. How are you? Thank you for being there. It's great to have you with us. If you're not already following or subscribed, then please make sure you press follow and subscribe indeed. Depending on which app you're using, just find the one that makes you stick around because we love having you there and there is never a dull moment, it would seem, in uh, Scottish politics at the Mo. Uh, here, as ever, Jeff Aberdeen, former Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond. Hello, Jeff. Hello. And also with us, Andy McKeever, who's Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Hello. Lovely to have you both here. There's lots to get through. First of all, I'll just do what is becoming tradition. I'm going to talk about the thing that we can't really talk about in a way that we can talk about it before we then don't go on to talk about it. The SNP treasurer Colin Beattie has been arrested by police investigating the party's finances. He's been taken into custody. He's been questioned by Police Scotland detectives. On Tuesday evening, Colin Beattie was released without charge. But a spokesman for Police Scotland said the arrest was made in connection with the continuing investigation into the funding and finances of the SNP. Now, for obvious reasons, we're not going to dive too much into that. But we are going to zoom out slightly because that has happened on the same day that Hamza Youssef is going to try and set out his his direction of travel, really, for his government. It was supposed to be a big reset day, Jeff. I think that, that feels like it's going to get slightly lost in the, in the midst of the ongoing investigation. Yeah, I think it's in danger of being completely drowned, obviously. Um, I feel for Hamza, actually, uh, on, a, on a personal level, because this was his big opportunity to try and set an agenda. We would find out exactly, exactly who his administration 
uh, was going to be targeting and, and going after in terms of its public policy priorities, but it is going to get drowned out today, no doubt. Um, a lot of criticism of him the last couple of weeks for taking on all these interviews. I, I tend to disagree with that. I think you have to. You're the newly elected First Minister. You have to get yourself out there and show that you're accessible uh, and transparent to a degree. But the problem's been, clearly, that they've you know not had message discipline. It's all been very reactive. And we said in the podcast uh, just last that, that you know, he had to get to the bottom of this, um, get everyone in a room as key advisors, key team, and say, look, what's happened? What's going on? Who knew what and when? And then take pretty decisive action if he was ever going to get ahead of this. Now, there might still be room to do that. Um, this is going to be a, a very uh, long-term evolving story, but he has to try and get out ahead of it and not keep giving this drip, drip, drip away and new news stories to the journalists every single day. Not easy, I accept that, and it's a very, very complex situation. But if he's not careful, this situation could drown him. Yeah. Andy, in terms of what Hamza Yusuf is trying to achieve this week with a reset and with policy direction, I mean, we should say there are, there are some policies floating around. There is a bit of a sense of what he wants to do. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit floating around. Um, I mean, as Jeff says, it's, it's unfortunate timing for him, and it's going to be obviously a difficult day. Uh, for him as well. I think that um, we've discussed over the last couple of weeks that he has a pretty shocking entry. It's probably the most difficult entry a First Minister has come into. Um, and he's got 48 seats to defend in less than 18 months, which uh, even before he won the election and before all this current news cycle started was already looking exceptionally challenging. And would, let's be clear, have been very challenging for Kate Forbes as well. This is not a on the use of issue, this is an issue with um, expectations, effectively. It, it, today would have been a more interesting day in terms of policy. There are, as, as you mentioned, there are a couple of things floating about. One, um, one interesting and slightly unexpected, and one probably less unexpected. One is the uh, apparent re-entry of Scotland schools into the Tims and Pearls studies. And those who are listening, if you don't know what Tims and Pearls is, well, firstly, why not? Because I mean, it's the absolute talk of the steamy what Tims and Pearls is. But Tims is the Trends in International Mathematics and Science study. Uh, and Pearls is uh, the twin study, which is the Progress in International Reading Literacy study. And effectively, Scotland has opted out of these for about 15 years now, I think, on the basis of, uh, if you don't, if you're scared of the answer, you best not ask the question. Um, and going back into these is interesting and positive, and I, I'm glad that they're doing it, actually. Jenny Ruth, I had always had high hopes for Jenny Ruth as an education minister, and this may be a sign that she is looking at that. So that's been interesting, but there was also uh, talk, of course, uh, of higher taxes, once again, um, more taxes on the rich, which in Scotland we seem to define as those who earn more than £28,000 a year, um, which is more kind of continuity government rather than change, I would suggest. So there's a, a, it's a bit of a mixed bag, mm. but as we've said, we're looking at it getting drowned out again in any case. Yeah, just to, just to add to that, Andy, I mean, uh, we've seen the, the kind of trail of the, the doubling of the council tax policy, fair mm. enough. I think, you know, obviously councils have been calling for uh, additional funding and revenue, and this might be a way to do it. But I do think this also plays back to a number of our recent discussions, does it not, that they have to address the other side of the balance sheet as well. Uh, what are they going to do to, you know, to incentivise sustainable economic growth, job creation? Uh, we've got poor, relatively poor productivity and economic growth rates in Scotland. So they really do need to focus, whether it's uh, Kate Forbes 
prosperity or whether it's a well-being economy. I'm not really that fussed, but there needs to be significant efforts to incentivise businesses uh, across the nation uh, to try and raise our productivity and growth rates, because, of course, that is what will ultimately increase our tax take and our ability to fund social services. Yeah, and again, I mean, on that note, we also had the news today that Kate Forbes and Michelle Thompson and Ivan McKee are looking at doing some research work along with the Commonweal Think Tank uh, on just that, on sustainable economic growth and uh, how it is by no means a right-wing concept. It's actually, you know, economic growth is the, is the bedrock of any democratic country, whether it's run by the centre-left or uh, the centre right, and you know, we so that that could be interesting because this parliament has uh, had a real dearth, to be honest, of um, non-leader backbench thought for a long number of years now, and it will be interesting to see how that's injected into it. But mm. you know, the, we one of the other things we've talked about a lot is just the uh, increasing tension, I guess, between the SNP side of the government and uh, the Green side of the government, which again has been you know, really very interesting over the last few days. We know there's a lot of SNP, MSPs and members who are privately nervous about it. And there was a really interesting report in uh, the Sunday Times on Sunday, actually, Alex Massey and John Boothman wrote uh, a readout, effectively, of a private meeting that had been held with SNP, MPs and MSPs. And one of the paragraphs in it, it was just a fascinating read to get into the insight of what's actually going on behind the scenes. And one of the paragraphs in it, I'm just going to read it out, Several MPs suggested they were at risk of losing their seats if the proposals are carried forward unamended. This is the proposals for highly protected marine areas, which we mentioned a few weeks ago mm. was about to start seeping into public consciousness and really explode in rural areas in particular. Just the impact of these is absolutely vast. Yeah. It goes on to say, in response, Yusuf repeatedly stressed that HPMEs were a red line for the Green Party. I just found that paragraph incredibly fascinating. It's as though there isn't an argument to say whether HPMEs are good or bad. Mm. The argument is to say they're a red line for the Green Party. And I think that goes right to the heart of what uh, Jeff is saying. And the, and the real, um, the line that the SNP is walking at the moment with their own supporters, especially outside of urban areas, with their own supporters, who I think are a major flight risk right now because of a lot of what's coming out of... Butte House and St Andrew's House. Really interesting, Jeff yeah. and Andy. And we do want to hear also, from our special guest. Yes, oh, I know. Sorry. Sorry. We do want to hear from a special guest. But if I just may very quickly <laughs> tail on to that point, really worth remembering uh, the politics of this country pre kind of two thousand and seven, mm -hmm. particularly uh, the SNP heartlands was particularly rural areas. You know, mm -hmm. up in the northeast of Scotland in a battle with the, the Tories and Perthshire as well and the Highlands where they were battling the rebel Democrats. There'll be a lot of people looking at these proposals um, and alongside other uh, policy uh, initiatives by the SNP and Leighton feel pretty threatened by that. So I think Andy makes a good point in terms of the fragility of that vote. Well, let us bring in our special guest who's sitting very patiently, listening to the expertise and the insight of Andy and Jeff. But here to add her own insight is the former leader of the Scottish Conservatives, Ruth Davidson. Ruth, hello. Welcome. 
I can. Well, as you know, I'm I'm a I'm a very patient woman. I like to sit quietly and listen to <laughs> men talk and, and man speak. <laughs> Scottish politics. And, and, and you know, as as always, it, it's illuminating. And I'll you know I'll I'll go back to my dishes uh, feeling like I've been better informed. Now we all know, we all know that you are far more than all of that. And we, and we are... also we all know that I'm I'm terrible at washing dishes. So uh, so yeah. We we are so glad to have you here, Ruth. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Uh, Ruth is. In conversation with us for the next little while, we're going to sort of try and chew through some of the some of the issues of the moment and, and get some really constructive and helpful insight on them. Um, I actually want to just pick up on something Jeff said there, Ruth. Do you do you have sympathy for Hamza Yusuf at the moment? He's he's trying to navigate this thing and it is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, he's standing there like comical alley in front of these exploding buildings behind him saying like there's nothing to see here you know we're you know this is a new start fresh start all the rest of it and he's just he's just he cannot clear his feet he absolutely cannot clear his feet at the moment to set out his own stall and i was really interested in the point that that the uh, Andy and Jeff were making about policy. Actually, there's been quite a lot of policy that has been discussed uh, in the last three weeks of uh, since he became leader, but all of it has been green agenda politics. It's been about the deposit return scheme. It's been about the gender recognition reforms. It's been about HMPAs, uh, which is the highly uh, the highly protected marine areas, mm. uh, uh, and. All of these have been part of this, as, as Andy rightly says, all have been part of that coalition agreement. The red lines are in the agreement, you know, have to be stuck to. But what I don't understand is why he believes this agreement is sacrosanct, because the whole point of this coalition, the whole point of the agreement was to exert pressure early on on the UK government and in the media to say, look, you said we would only get a second independence referendum if there was an independent supporting Scottish government. Well, here it is. Here is the legitimacy. Here are the numbers in Parliament. We are, you know, a government that that, that is going to do that. But, but that ship has sailed. Mm. You know, the UK government is not about to pass the powers over uh, for a second uh, referendum. I don't think at the moment the SNP would want a second referendum. You even have people died in the wool fundamentalists uh, like Mike Russell saying, you know, they're not ready for one now. They wouldn't win one right now. Uh, they don't have the answers right now that they need. So uh, so I don't know why Hums is clinging to this, uh, like the raft of the Medusa. Uh, you know, I, I just don't understand it. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, in terms of what he's trailed today for his big policy announcement and the resetting of his government, he knows he's going to be judged on what's continuity, what stuff had already popped up. And he knows he's going to have to pull a few rabbits out of hats. And the, the stuff that was being trailed about uh, helping... Uh, with housing by looking at second homes in, in Scotland. Uh, you know, in terms of a policy announcement that fits in with his agenda, I understand it. It's got a coherence to it with what he's trying to achieve. I think the difficulty is when it, it reacts to reality because there's going to be an awful lot of winners and losers across Scotland, depending on where people have uh, second homes. So Highland and Islands, you know, probably, and, and some of the islands. Uh, um, uh, local authorities do quite well out of that. Edinburgh will do quite well out of that. Glasgow will do quite well out of that. I'm not sure Falkirk Council is going to do very well out of that, or Clacks Council is going to do very well out of that, or West Lothian Council is going to do well out of that. And, and actually, if he's got an eye on where his seats are that are under pressure, where he needs to shore up support uh, in the next wee while, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we've suddenly burst the dam on everybody in the SNP from top to bottom. Um, Wheeshed for Nicola, wheeshed for Indy, wheeshed for party discipline, mm. and they're speaking out. And if I was a councillor that, uh, or an administration in a council, in one of the councils that's not going to benefit from all of this, and that continually sees um, their block budget, their block grant, the money that comes from from a Scottish, an SNP Scottish 
uh, budget going to an SNP local authority that's being, in real times, a salami sliced year after year after year as it has, uh, I, I think I'd probably find my voice by now. I've been quiet for 10, 15 years. I think I'd probably stand up and speak up. And I, I think the party management that Hamza has to do now the dam is broken on party discipline is going to be so much harder than either Alec had or Nicola had. Mm. Is By the way, Lots more than just washing dishes, and there's two minutes to prove it. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, but second of all, you know that that insight is really interesting, and the fact that you have led a party, the, the issue of discipline is really interesting. I don't know if it's something you ever had to contend with or think about <laughs> <laughs> in your in your yeah, time. So, room. so Hamza won fifty two forty eight, and he's an amateur because I was much closer than I had. I won by six hundred votes after two rounds of transfers. Uh, I only had two MSPs sitting behind me that actually voted for me. Uh, I'd been in the door like six months. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, no, the first couple of years, I think there was one or two discipline issues in terms of, you know, in terms of pulling in the right direction. Yeah, and it's just, but it's just fascinating to try to understand how that works. Go on, Jeff. Ruth, you know, your lead, leadership of uh, the party, um, uh, you might recall a coffee that you and I had Probably 2020 time, maybe a bit earlier. But, you know, I was reflecting uh, that uh, I've got my sums right that you took over the party uh, leadership uh, at the 20th November election, 2011, 4th of November. Vote. There you go. You never forget. Yeah. Yeah. And in <laughs> 2016, well, we'll come back to the referendum later. I'm sure I've got a lot of questions to ask you about that. Uh, but the 2016 election, you raised the, the, the seats to, to 31 from 15, uh, 22% of the vote up, eight. Uh, in the 2017 election, uh, you recorded 13 seats and 28.6%. You were doing pretty well for a Conservative leader. You were breaking the norms. And I know from speaking to people within the party at the time that you really rankled with them, you really annoyed them. And, uh, and that's a good sign uh, if you're the opposition that you're doing something right. Do you ever regret not holding on to the 2021 election and saying, just seeing how you could have carried this out. Yes, I know that Boris took over in 2019 and there was that general election, but in Scotland, you'd seem to find a niche for yourself. And I just wonder if you ever look back and go, do you know what? I wish I just hung on again just to see what happened in the 2020 election. Well, you, you make it sound as if I didn't campaign in that election. I did. Of course I did. I've campaigned in every yes. election and I will campaign for the party in every election. However, I, I just wasn't leader for it. Um, but no, the point at which I went was the right time um, for a number of reasons, both personal and political. The first was it was really obvious to me with the impasse in Westminster that there was going to be a snap general election. Um, there had to be. There was no other way that I could see uh, Boris or any new prime minister solving the issue on Brexit, which meant how do you define the parameters of what an election is fought on? And it was going to be a Brexit election and we were going to be the Brexit party. The UK party was going to be the Brexit party. Now, in the 2017 election, we ran a, a pretty separate campaign from Theresa May. Um, we had a lot of things that were different, but Theresa May, God love her, and I have a huge amount of respect for her, um, is not the campaigning powerhouse that a Boris Johnson is. And she didn't have as big a microphone or as big a platform as Boris Johnson was going to have. Uh, and also she had a more nuanced position than Boris Johnson uh, was ever going to take. Um, uh, and there was space for me to be the kind of face and the voice of, of the election in Scotland in 2017. There was never going to be that space in 2019. Uh, and I was never going to be the person that could uh, either, A, in good conscience, talk up a pro-Brexit message, uh, or B, people could look at me just 
you know, because of my background, they knew what it is. You know, I, I couldn't convey it. The people wouldn't listen to me, even if I wanted to give it, if I wanted to fall into line. And I didn't. Like, I, I don't want to say things that I don't believe. That's not why I got into politics. Um, there's also another issue is that I was not performing as well as I had. I'd come back after having my child and I thought that I could do it all. And I, I wasn't as effective as I was before. And you either do things to the standard you've set them at or you, uh, if you recognise you're doing them to a lower standard, are you happy with that? And, and I wasn't. Uh, and I'd done the job for longer than anybody else uh, in you know, post-evolution politics. I'd done it, uh, at, at, you know, bringing in us to a higher level. Um, and the other part of it, there was an, another element of professional pride that there were rooms that I used to be in where decisions were being made with prime ministers and secretaries of state and others where I was listened to. And I wasn't even in the room when the prime minister changed. There were rooms that I used to be in that I was now left outside the door of. Uh, and do I, you know, how do I do my job like that? I, I can't. So, so yeah, there was a part of me thinking, do you know what? I have done as best as I can and worked as hard as I can for as long as I can. And it's time for somebody with the energy I used to have to do it now. Uh, and I made the right choice for, for me, yeah. I think for the party. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure uh, how we would have done uh, in the the 2021 Scottish election with me at the helm. I think Douglas ran an incredibly disciplined campaign. Uh, if he had lost just one seat, just one seat had gone the other way with the way Labour lost seats and the Lib Dems lost seats, um, the SNP would have a majority by themselves. And that would have changed the entire debate around a second referendum. All of it would have changed. So he did what he needed to do, found another 100,000 voters that I hadn't found, the one before. Um, you know, I... I I held up an end. If I was, if this was cricket, I held up an end while an end needed holding, uh, and <laughs> you know, and and wins and losses on the board. I'm happy with it. Like I, I did a shift. I did a shift. Would you be tempted back? Not if an opportunity chance. arises. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if the ball came loose at the back of the scrum, yes. you're yes. saying, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know? I think my wife would kill me, and then she'd divorce me in that order. It would be a new <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah, an absolutely new first. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's times that, you know, I, I'm, I'm desperate to get stuck in because I'm a political animal. I will always care about politics. I'll always care about changing things. But in, in terms of knowing when it's time to go, I, I think I left at about the right time. I just, I just couldn't see how that 2019 election in good conscience... I could, I could do it. I just, I couldn't do it. Mm. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Do you know something? Just, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very minor aside, but it's actually important. It's sometimes it's important to give people their due, right? And Douglas Ross gets a lot of criticism. Um, some people don't like his style and and so on. Um, actually, you have to give Douglas Ross a lot of credit for that campaign in 2021. Right. It was he so got, disciplined. It was I mean, so got, disciplined. He, got, he, got he never got dragged seats. off it. Yeah, yeah. He See, never got Ruth dragged got in off it. 2016, 31 seats. And, and his, it, was, it was so focused because the message was absolutely nothing else other than you got to yeah. vote Tory to stop NDRF2. That and, was it. and I couldn't do and, that. Andy, I and, couldn't have done the yeah. campaign that he did because I would have been dragged off. I would have wanted to talk about education. I would have been dragged off talking about the wider party. I would, like, I, I can't... I, I can't not get involved in a fight. Like I can't <laughs> not. And and yeah. the other and Nicola knew that, and you know Anas knows that because he knows me of old as well. And and I couldn't have stuck to the message of discipline that Douglas Ross uh, yeah. stuck to. And, in that and he absolutely I did. Have. And it, it, you know I, I'm not I, I'm not I, I I didn't find it a brilliant campaign. Obviously, I believe in you know more devolution and and, and different things. But um, but he he did exactly what he needed to do. Yeah. I mean, it was a perfect execution. I agree. I completely agree. I, I wrote a big Twitter 
um, sort of stream of after it. I got so much abuse for it. It was hilarious. Um, I do quite like it sometimes when you poke the bear. It's quite fun, uh, isn't on, it? on purpose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> but genuinely, and uh, you know, it's also it's not the sort of campaign I like running. I wouldn't have enjoyed that mm. campaign. Never mind mm. being able to do it. But in terms of making a decision, sticking to it, executing it against some pretty powerful incoming fire, like people were getting really personal. Willie Rennie uh, and Anna Sarwar in particular, saying that you know he was a dark person, that he was not likable. Like in in public debates and stuff, some of the uh, personal um, anti-parliamentarian language that was being used. Uh, and he never never flinched, never fought back, mm. never did anything. He was so disciplined uh, in a way that I would never be able to be. The other, the other interesting point that that raises as well is that, you know, I, I've long thought that Brexit is overplayed as an electoral and political issue in Scotland now. Maybe it wasn't a few years ago, but I think it is now. And in Labour and the SNP, I think there is still a presumption that Brexit in itself is a bit of a game changer. I'm not at all convinced. I think people are far more interested in, in, in British constitutional affairs than European constitutional affairs. But Ruth, as, a, as somebody who's so involved in mm. Remain, how, what do you see as being the legacy impact of Brexit in Scottish politics now? Do you think it's still a big deal? But, you know, that's one of the many, many fallacies. And there are many fallacies in politics. But, but one of them is that I was really involved in Remain. And early on, I had a meeting. I was invited to be on the board of it. Um, Peter Mandelson was trying to chat me up and all the rest of it. I said, absolutely not, because I have a responsibility as the leader of the party in Scotland. We have a really important Scottish election in 2016. And the Brexit vote is only going to be six weeks after that. I will not do anything for Remain. Uh, until I've got that election out of the way, I have to focus because this is our our last one big chance. Because uh, if it was down to you, Andy, if I'd, I'd failed at that election, there wouldn't be a Scottish Tory party. <laughs> you wanted to get rid of it, uh, you know. Um, Still that, do, Ruth. Still yeah, do. I know. <laughs> you, you, just, you just keep changing the reason why. It used to be because we couldn't win again. We couldn't win any extra seats. Well, we've, we've done that. Then it was because of Boris. Now he's gone. I don't know what your next one you're going to pick is, but um, uh, you'll find another podcast. reason. That's a separate for podcast. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a series, I'm sure. Um, but but like the pressure on that one especially because of what had happened to labor scottish labor and the fact that it couldn't hold up its end and it was clear it wasn't going to hold up its end the pressure on that election was obvious from sort of two years 18 months out there was no way i was going to get involved and be dragged off course and in, in remain uh, until i'd until i'd done everything that i could do in, in that election and um I only got involved in the in the final debate on the BBC after that had happened. And what was really interesting was it was me and Sadiq Khan and Francis O'Grady from the TUC. And Sadiq had done exactly the same thing because the London mayoralty election mm-hmm. was on at exactly the same time. So all the previous debates, the Sky debate, the ITV debate, all of that was different actors from Remain. And then we came in at, at the end. And and I think in an odd way, uh, that's probably one of the better debate performances I've, I've had because... Um, particularly when I've, I've done the occasional UK-wide thing, because I was so kind of match fit, because I'd just been on the stump for, you know, six months in the run-up to that election, uh, and I'd just come off the back of it. So uh, in a weird way, both Sadiq and, and, and I, I think, were, were kind of were, were pretty punchy because we'd been in a different sphere doing other things. But, but yeah, my involvement with Remain only came, became much later on. Mm. Yeah. Can I just can I just say very quickly? I'm very pleased to hear um, of no change to the Tory Party. I, I find that a, 
a distant second to the SMP is quite satisfactory, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, but what I was going to oh, say yeah. is, Ruth, you, you faced uh, both Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon at FMQs on a weekly basis, right? Mm. Uh, probably both of them at the peak of their powers, in all honesty. Yep. Uh, and two generational talents, I think we'd all agree. Would we? Who's the tougher to Would debate? We? Would we? Are we just nah, going to accept the premise hang. of that question, are Let we? Let that one go. <laughs> I get away with everything on this podcast, Ruth. Yeah, uh, not with me, let's ex- Not with me. <laughs> Let, let's accept they're both very good politicians, right? Yeah, but yeah. who, in your mind, did you uh, look forward to or fear uh, kind of debating with on a weekly basis and why? It, t- to be honest, it, in the same way as when people ask about kind of different election campaigns or different voting and, you know, all the rest of it. And, you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not a complex person. I will fight on the battlefield in front of me um, and I will put in the best shift that I can for, for myself and my team. Um, and in a sense, it kind of doesn't matter who the opponent is um, because you've just you, you've just got to you've got to win or at least do as credibly as, as you can. Uh, and at FMQs, it's more about what is the context of the FMQ. Uh, so do you have something that's killer? Can you execute it? Or has something, I mean, this is probably more weeks rather than not, has something absolutely catastrophic happened to uh, the party down south that is going to be thrown back at you, even if it has no relevance to whatever you're talking about, and you're going to get your bum kicked from, from here to the edge of the chamber and back? Um I think I had a I had a, a rough uh, I had a rough start. Um, I think I got spread around the walls by Salmon a lot when I started. Uh, I, I think if it was a boxing match, you know, there, it's not even like there was going to be a towel thrown in. I would have just been a puddle, a beating <laughs> puddle mess on the floor. Um, but I, I think it toughened me up, um, and I think I I think I got I hope I got better at it, um, both with him and with her, and. I mean, I think the thing that he did that was better to a degree than her is he had slightly more tools in his toolkit um, in that he he could use humour, which she very rarely tried. And that can be devastating. You know, you, you know, making people laugh at you is is devastating. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that that's a you know, that's a, a, a score win. Easy. That's that's, you know, ding, ding. Uh, but. She didn't do that. I think what she was better than him at was that she could do compassion and empathy when required, which he slightly struggled with. Um, so, I, so I think in terms of what they were able to project, um, and, and, it, and it is very much around the principles. So it's you try to chip away at them and you picked a topic that you thought you could kind of almost throw stones at the window, but, but they were there not to answer your questions. They were there to project either... Uh, a, a point or a theme or uh, a sense of themselves uh, and it, it's how could you kind of catch them out because it's just the way in which it's set up and the way in which it's structured it, it is all about the first minister it's not really about the opposition leaders mm. um, so I think you know there was there was a good few times where I, I came out with a you know an, an away goal win um, I think there was a good few times like I said that I, I got absolutely splattered all over the canvas um, but the good thing about FMSQs is you know it's, it's tomorrow's chip paper and you're back the next day, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. you're back the next week, and yeah. and, and you, can I, you can keep I, going. Can, can I tell you? Can I tell you, Ruth? You know, I, I prepped <clears throat> Salmon, you know, with with a team very late into the nights and Wednesday nights, and from from Parliament, and then sometimes at Bew House. And 
Uh, I can honestly say, you know, a lot of people, he was very good. Now, he loved the pugilistic theatre of it all and all the rest of it. Um, but he put in a hell of a lot of prep, I can tell you that. He had people work until two in the morning to get every single bit of data on any potential subject that might come up. But we spent a hell of a lot of time in preparing for you. Um, now, I, I mean, there's no disrespect at that time to, to jo Joanne Lamont, but because of the context that you rightly outline, I think <clears throat> Sam would be pretty comfortable with the Labour-SNP battle. And of course, the Tories might seem quite sim uh, uh, more simple to deal with in FMQs, but you as an individual were not. And a lot of prep, extra prep went into seeing how we could try and undermine your argument. So I think that's a fairly, fairly big compliment, actually, to give you. Do you take that as a compliment, Ruth? But to a degree, I mean, you know, oh, stop, do shut up, Jeff, tell me more. Uh, but I think, but, but I think also there, there is, and each leader has, has their own favourites. You're not supposed to have favourites, but, but each leader has their favourites. And Salmond always cared about the sort of constituencies where if we were going to have a comeback, we were going to come back in. So it was going yeah. to be his northeast heartlands. It was going to be, I mean, I don't think for a second he ever thought we would take his seat or Angus Robertson's seat or or or, or, or his old Banff and Buchan seat. But he knew that we were a danger in those areas and, and that if I could get established and, and have a foothold uh, and, you know, be taken seriously... And um, these were the areas that I could reach out to. And even though I was representing first Glasgow and then Edinburgh, so very, very urban seats, uh, I made a massive, massive effort to make sure that I went to uh, every regional agricultural show, every bull sales, every, you know, I, I, I did the work to mm. make sure that I was, I, was, I was covering off everything. Now, actually, Nicola Sturgeon, does she have that touch and feel for these sorts of areas of Scotland, for the borders and uh, Dumfries and Galloway and for Murray and for Aberdeenshire and, 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 uh, and around there? I'm not sure she does. Does she care about them as much as she cares about the urban central belt? I'm not sure she does. Uh, and in terms of favourites, I mean, she absolutely has the touch and feel for the, the kind of uh, that, that central belt, that urban, uh, developed, industrial central belt. Uh, and with her own upbringing, in Ayrshire, that's kind of where she was always... That was her battleground. That's what she wanted. So so I think she's probably wanted to take on Labour a, a bit more than Salmond, and he would understand that the parts of Scotland that I was trying to speak to were the parts that, that he really cared about and had a touch and a feel for. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
This is Hollywood Sources. Thanks so much for listening. We're in conversation this week with Ruth Davidson. Email your thoughts. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com. If you would like to react to what you're hearing, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll read those out on the next episode. Straight back to Ruth. What do you think, in, in this yeah. current situation for the SNP, and indeed, as we have touched on on this podcast in the past, for the Scottish Parliament, this, you know, this crisis is is sort of a, a real issue, a real sort of moment, a new chapter, sure, but a difficult one for the Scottish Parliament to navigate. What is the role of the opposition parties in the midst of what is going on right now? Well, first of all, I, I mean, you have to be exceptionally careful because it's not for you to cross the line, in a sense, uh, and... Uh, Yes, you've got to balance the idea of, you know, don't interrupt your opponent making mistakes. Um, but there is a sense of ex- exerting pressure and, and pressure and time uh, can can make even previously solid edifices start to crumble. So it's, it's how can you tweak that pressure without going over the line and making people either feel sorry for them or for having the presiding officer step in or for having to take a warning from the police or something like that because, you've, you, you know, you yourself uh, have done something wrong. But, but I think your point about the Scottish Parliament is a big one. Um, because if we're honest, what Henry McLeish resigned for was, was pretty small beer and nobody really thought that reflected badly on the Parliament. It was a mistake. Mm. He was a decent man that fell on his sword. And was he really up to the job? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, he, he did the right thing and, and everybody could, could kind of uh, send that away. I, th- I think the huge media circus that was around first the Salmon trial and, and then was around the um, committee investigation and everything in the parliament really blew up the sense that um, there was something wrong or something bad had happened, mm. uh, even if there wasn't any sort of, of, of conviction to it. Um, I, I think if you know we start seeing other people that signed off um, that were office holders in the SNP that signed off accounts, like, for example, the, for the leader at the time, um, never mind the leader's husband, who was also the chief executive and the treasurer of the party. Um, if we start seeing these people being brought in for questioning under arrest, then, uh, you know, it, it becomes a much changed picture. Uh, and why this is important is because part of the Scottish exceptionalism that the SNP have pushed and pushed hard for years since before they became into to government and while in government is that Scotland is better than this dirty place called Westminster. Westminster is the cipher for England in this. It's it's part of the dog whistle. Uh, and if if it becomes uh, known that, that actually bad things happen, not just in Holyrood, but also to the SNP in Holyrood, and they're all as bad as each other and a plague on everybody's house and politics is just mm. this horrible corrupt place, then actually that dents one of the planks that, that they've spent 20 years sort of nailing down that's interesting that's really interesting thought and so then when it comes to the opposition i'm, I'm trying to work out you know labor the conservatives whoever in the scottish parliament is there is there first juicy in this context to the scottish parliament and the integrity of devolution i suppose with all of that in mind rather than trying to land blows on the snp is it kind of let that bubble away as its own thing but let's try and demonstrate some sort of integrity in in this institution well, I mean, I think that's what you try and convey. I yeah. mean, I, I think it's it's that, you know, you also have a job to do. So, yeah. so actually, for example, today when I was uh, I was driving to get home to, to do this, um, I heard Jackie Bailey, the, the, the um, deputy leader of uh, Labour in, in Scotland, uh, on commercial radio, on the sort of hourly news bulletin, 
just saying, you know, something pretty bland about about Colin Beatty being arrested as treasurer, but but basically saying, you know, we need more transparency. This is, you know, etc. And I think that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, bring in the party leader when there's a big blow to land. But in the day to day, just jacking it up, just have senior people just nibbling away, just adding to the narrative, making sure that it's not the SNP's defence necessarily that's leading all the news bulletins, but it's the it's the kind of other people saying, no, 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 this is quite big. This is very murky. This is important. Pay attention. This is bad. You need to have that this is bad voice making itself available. Um, and, and, and also, you know, when there's a, a, a big, I was going to say tent pole, but, but given there was tents in the first minister, ex-former First Minister's Garden, that's probably the wrong word to use. But when there's a, a kind of tent pole event, when there's a spike in the mm. story, that's when you bring out the leaders, that's when you bring out the big guns, and, and that's when you kind of go for it. Got you. Got you. Very interesting in terms of strategy. Um, I'm just sort of, I'm kind of, I've always been intrigued with the idea of kind of accountability in the Scottish Parliament and whether whether what we are seeing unfold now is a demonstration of 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 inappropriate accountability structures. Is is that are we are we sort of reaping what we've sown a bit here? Yeah, do you know, I I find this quite a difficult one on the grounds that I've probably been more self-censoring than anybody ever has self has ever censored me in a sense in that I felt very acutely the need to be whiter than white not get ourselves in the papers for the wrong reasons to um, and, and particularly because some of the things that were hurled at conservatives in general and the Scottish conservatives um, was that we were never given the benefit of the doubt on anything and and our defense uh, in terms of our crisis comms and all the rest of it we, we were always a bit on the back foot and when people piled in on us they piled in I always thought pretty hard, and I'm not sure that my best political comms is is defending rather than attacking in terms of where your skills lie. So I I, I tried to run as absolutely straight down a line ship as I could, Um, one, because it's the right thing to do, um, but two, because it's also the the best way in which you can make progress and the best way you can do your job. Um, And also as an ex-journalist, I had quite a good insight into what you get away with and what you don't get away with in terms of a, a narrative and spinning a story around the interpretation of, of facts, for example. So, so, so I tried to absolutely play it as straight as I could while not being a softie, while also being tough enough for Scottish politics, which is tough. You know, I, I, you yeah. know I, it's the whole don't bring a knife to a gunfight. I, I mean, it's pretty red in tooth and claw, but, but there was a sense of, and I would absolutely go through people, the p- number of people that got brought into my office for a meeting without tea and biscuits because some stupid person said some stupid thing and they didn't have the, you know, they they said it in a way that was getting us all into trouble and, and I would obviously front it up because I was the leader, but the idea that they left that office not knowing that they had let me down and the party down and that you know their card was marked uh, and the voices were never raised but you know we would we would do everything that we could to make sure that that people played the game in the right way mm, i like that a meeting without tea and biscuits <laughs> that's, that's an army saying yeah, yeah. Euphemism. you're invited to a meeting without tea and biscuits yeah <laughs> it's a terrible sounding meeting um, <laughs> you know i i think this this is very interesting to me i think i I started working there when I was, uh, well, when was it, 2001. Um, we weren't even in the building. It was up at the old Church of Scotland, um, working for David McCletchie. And, you know, and I've been in and out for 20 years. I think there's been kind of two halves to devolution so far. When I was there working for David McCletchie, I mean, you know, it was just everybody against the Tories. 
And actually, the big pressure on the Tories at that point was to just do anything which made you feel like you were normal and got you accepted. And they fell into that trap a lot, actually. Um, you know, resisted it, but, but fell into quite a lot to try to become part of what was a pretty cosy consensus. And that consensus included Labour and the SNP kind of on the same side. Um, devolution totally changed in 2011 when the SNP got the majority because it went from being, you know, a pretty consensus-driven place that, you know, did a little bit of virtue signalling but actually didn't do a whole hell of a lot else. Um, and then it became a constitutional debate, and that has been the case ever since. So, and, and it's really scarred Holyrood as an institution, I think, the last 10, 12 years when we've talked about really nothing else apart from referendums and independence. I think it really has, it's been a, it's been a difficult start to life for the parliament. But I would always encourage people to remember that 25 years is not a long time for a parliament to exist. Mm. This is quite a young institution. It is an immature institution, and I mean that word both non-pejoratively and pejoratively. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there has to be a bit of time for it to develop, especially because it has had a pretty hard start in life. I think the institution needs to take a real look at itself. I think the committee structure is hopeless. I think it needs to think about a second chamber. I don't think there are enough MSPs. I don't think the MSPs get paid enough. I think there's a lot that it could do to actually make itself better and make the quality better. But I suppose all I would say is I'm not belittling what's going on just now. It's deeply serious and it will have deeply serious consequences probably for the rest of this decade. But this is quite a young place. Yeah. It's quite a young parliament. And it does have a long, it has a long way to go. We shouldn't throw the baby out of the bathwater, I guess, is the shorthand mm. of what I'm saying. No, that's interesting. That is interesting. Jeff, what do you make of that? And, and whether there is a sort of, I don't know, a malaise in accountability? Yeah, listen, I, I don't have too much to add to, to, to what Ruth and Andy have said. I think I wouldn't agree with everything Andy says there about his proposals, but there's merit in how we can really strengthen the committee system. I think that's long overdue, real accountability and real robustness there. And that might require some discussion with Westminster, actually, in terms of various powers that might be able to be transferred. I suppose my only observation over and above of what both have said is, is going back to Ruth's point earlier about, you know, Hamza's keenness and factuation, if you will, with the green tie-up. Mm. Look, the most exciting politics I've ever been involved in was that 2007 to 11 uh, parliament because we honestly didn't know if we were going to see the week out you know uh, and you had to negotiate you had to get in the back corridors have chats particularly with Annabel Goldie but yes other parliamentarians as well across the party even within our own party and I think this kind of myth that the SNP's got this razor iron discipline yes out outwardly we did but internally I can tell you there was a hell of a lot of arguments back and forth mm. But that really, I thought, showed the parliament in a good light and how we recognised that we couldn't take forward all of our legislative agenda, had to sacrifice some of those things and actually made a virtue of it in the 20, 2011 election campaign. We actually, one of our top lines was we managed, uh, I think it was 76 of 84 proposals. And isn't that's not bad for a minority, excepting you couldn't get some of your biggest stuff through. And, and I just feel that we've got to try and emulate to a place where there are compromises to be found and not just guaranteeing the parliamentary arithmetic all the time. Remember, mm. one of the re key reasons for the existence of the Scottish Parliament was so it could do things differently to Westminster. So, yeah, there has to be more accountability across the chamber. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But I think you've got a generation now who don't talk to each other. 
Um, well, so right. not only have you got how rancorous it became 2011 to 16, but then you've also got the newest ones that came in in 2021 that because of COVID never mm-hmm. met each other. Yeah. They didn't do their induction together and they never sat uh, on a, a committee together for, for ages. They were, you know, they were doing politics through a screen. And it's the same in Westminster for, for, for some of the ones that came in uh, in that election as, as well. So I don't see where the next... Bruce Crawford and David McCletchie, the whips for the SNP and the Tories, who did so much work, are completely unheralded heroes of that 2011-2016 parliament, um, where they come from. Because I, I don't think those sorts of relationships exist anymore in Scottish politics or in the Scottish parliament. And we should yeah. be clear as well, Cal. I mean, I think it, it's important for listeners inside and outside Scotland to realise how things have changed since the... Alex Salmond inquiry inside Holyrood. That has Mm. changed the dynamic inside that building to a massive degree. It is toxic in there now. It's an absolute snake pit. You could go in there between five and 15 years ago, and at any given time, you would very commonly see MSPs from opposition parties having a chat and a laugh and a coffee, and it was a pretty friendly place. That happens far less now. Mm. There is mistrust of each other. There is dislike of each other. It is not anything like as nice a place as it was before. So, you know, there are there are problems that need to be sorted and, and it's still probably a medium-term goal to actually get over yeah. that issue. So when I was there, um, you could not go into the Holyrood's Parliament bar at any sitting night and not find... Mo- uh, um, Margot MacDonald, Mary Scanlon and Christine Graham sitting together drinking wine. <laughs> now, Margot MacDonald left slash was thrown out the SNP. You would think that there was some kind of rancour there. Uh, Mary Scanlon uh, died in the wool Tory, uh, had come up uh, from the Highlands, uh, had issues within the party because she came up a, a, as, as a single mother at a time where, you know, she, she had people from Labour shouting at her about how she shouldn't even be in this party, she should be somewhere else. Uh, and Christine Graham, who's about as, I mean, if you cut through her, she'd have SNP written in her bones like stick a Blackpool rock. I swear <laughs> to God. Like, and the three of them, they were like a coven. All you needed was Macbeth to sit down at the table next to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean that in the most Absolutely. affectionate way. Mm. And and you would go in and as, a, as I knew as a young MSP, they would always have something to say to you. They would have a, a, a piece of, they would take you aside and give you a piece of advice. But, but, it, but it absolutely was... Um, a place where you could go. It was also great for gossip. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you mean, know, Ruth, just on that, sorry, just on that, yeah. I, mean, I remember, you know, going down the, particularly after a Thursday, it was the end of the parliamentary week, you got through, you go down into the bar and there'd be a mixture of politicians, as you rightly said, some journalists and all the rest of it. And we'd go and speak to other folk, you know, particularly after FMQs and it was like, I got you today, you and we got you and all the rest of it and you'd have a pint and it was great fun and then you'd leave and have a a few more afterwards and it was good laugh it was a good laugh I I thoroughly look forward to my Thursday evenings I hated looking forward to my Friday mornings incidentally back at St Andrew's house the day after but it was I did sense that and and I think look can this be resuscitated yes it can Mm. Um, we're in a particular moment in time that happens in political uh, cycles Um, I I find it fascinating fascinating to see what's going to transpire at the next general election and how that might impact events at Holyrood as well because if the trends are to be believed and Labour makes significant advances you know the SNP are going to have to start uh, looking at themselves and how they conduct themselves as well in terms of their approach to the 
to the Holyrood election thereafter. So it might be interesting to see. And we'll see, let's give Hamza his due, you know, <laughs> despite the controversies, let's see what type of party he wants to lead as well in terms of its discourse. Well, well he is collegiate, to be fair. Mm. He is yeah, absolutely yeah. collegiate. He works with people across parties. He's always good fun with them. Uh, I mean, he, he's not Alex Neil, but nobody's Alex Neil in terms of being able to <laughs> I have think a you can gossip. Say that again. And, yeah, yeah. No, I love him, and, and I particularly so I. love the the Neil Findlay, Jackson Carlaw, Alex Neil axis that existed for a bit across the three main parties. They worked together uh, on 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 this really terrible issue about women's mesh implants and the damage it had done to women. So it's just a really difficult subject to talk about, and they did some great work together, but but ended up becoming quite good pals off of it, particularly Jackson and Alex. And in terms of we fish wifeys that would always have a gossip. Oh my word, it was brutal. <laughs> Were they the worst? But anytime, anytime I saw Alec Neil in the garden lobby, I was straight over there like greased weasel because he would always tell you something you didn't know about something that was going on in the SNP and it was hilarious. And I, I, I honest to God, love that man. I honest to God, love that man. <laughs> that is brilliant. I love now that. Now we know where all the stories came from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I'd speak to Alex, then I'd phone the press. Yeah, he was the one, he was, sounds like he was the one preparing you for First Minister's questions, as it turns yeah, out. Well, no, no, no. Well, that's the thing, because he could do all of that, but he absolutely knew which team he played for. Yeah, and, yeah, he was, yeah, and he was yeah. a really strong member of the team and and I think where Nicola struggled and that Alex Salmond got exactly right was how uh, Alex Salmond when he was at his peak had arranged the party so mm. he had this triangle so he would only do the media the broadcast media by himself never have anybody else on never do a discussion never do a panel never do anything he would go on when he had something to say uh, and he had three absolute bruisers in the three uh, main policy areas at Holyrood, which was justice, health and education. We had Mike Russell, uh, Kenny McCaskill uh, and Alec Neil were absolute bruisers. If anyone got through that first line of defence, he then had the twin kind of goalkeepers yeah. of Honest John Swinney, as he always called him, Honest John, uh, and Nicola Sturgeon to take that. So nothing ever penetrated these two layers and mm. got to him. He was only ever making sure that when he went on the news, he was saying what he wanted to say and, and he was delivering a message. And it worked, and it worked brilliantly. And, and I think you're seeing today that, that Hamza hasn't got any of that. Like, I, I was looking on Twitter when you guys were talking, and here's something that came out of his media huddle today. Uh, and I don't know which line is my favourite here. I'm always surprised when one of my colleagues is arrested. Uh, <laughs> I need to speak to Colin. My understanding is that he's still in a police station being questioned. Oh uh, it is yeah. certainly not helpful. Yeah. The idea that Alex Salmond would have been caught yeah, out saying well, any of that is absolute well, nonsense uh, because yeah. he knew how to manage the media. And, and Jeff, I, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this to his actual face, even if it's <laughs> virtual, was bloody good at what he did. And, he, and that's it. He had good people around him mm. and he beasted them. I mean, I remember you telling me that when that uh, oh that um, volcano erupted in Iceland yeah. and it sent all the flights off, the that he was on the phone to you at, at like half past four, six in the morning saying, why am I not on the television? Why am I not doing this? This is affecting Scotland's flight plan. Get me on telly right now. Uh, and like balled you out for it because he was a demanding yeah. boss, but he knew what he wanted to do and he knew how to project himself. You, you listen, you, that is, you, you just said, you've just brilliantly analysed what was our strategy, incidentally, in terms of how we built the media. But, <laughs> but we could um, see it, but we couldn't beat it. But, that was the thing. We yeah, could see it, but we but, couldn't beat it. But, but do you know, can I just say a wee funny one on that volcano thing? You know, Kevin phoned me three o'clock in the morning. Who's, who's Kevin, Kevin sorry. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Pringle, who is my mentor and, and just a genius, an absolute genius, and uh, still a very close friend of mine. And uh, he phones me and says, Jeff, we're going to have to get ahead of this. You know what Alex like? Now, at this point, the volcano or the ash had not even indicated, you know, not, not even the Met Office was indicating it was coming anywhere near Britain. 
So we thought we'll get ahead of the game, we'll get, you know, score and mobilise and we'll start thinking all the rest of it. So in he comes into the chamber this morning at about seven o'clock in the morning and we say, look, Alec, we've done all this and we've done <laughs> this prep prepared. We've got a few lines ready. He says, I should be on the telly at five o'clock this morning. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh my yeah. What? You can't win. You yeah, can't win. Exactly. Oh, it's hilarious. I love that. Yeah. That is brilliant. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear these like reminiscing of you know perhaps how it used to be, and also your encouragement, Jeff, that it can get to that as well. Because it's kind of sad to hear that it is a difficult place to spend time yeah, yeah. in, as, as Andy got to. I really wanted to just turn your attention uh, or your memory back to the referendum. 2014. Mm. Uh, there's so many questions. We probably should do a, a separate podcast and have you back for that. But yeah, I'm not coming. Don't blame me. What Jeff has done there is one of the oldest tricks in the radio book, which is to try and rebook someone during the current <laughs> yeah, yeah. interview that you're no, doing. Exactly. I'm not bothered for that. You've biffed yeah, us, yeah, yeah, you've no, biffed no, no. Us. Like, not, none of that. I'm not, none of this, like, accepting the premise of any of Jeff's questions. None of this, like, being railroaded into agreeing to anything. I am an old war horse. I am better than this, Jeff. And shame on you for thinking I'm going to fall for any of this. Okay, okay, right. Can I ask my question then? I right. So, no, so, um, we're in the, like, we're getting to the heat of the battle. The polls are tightening. Obviously, there's the famous, YouGov poll that puts yes ahead. I'm aware, obviously, in conversations since with people like Michael Moore and all the rest of that you had internal polling at Westminster showing where you know that yes was ahead. At what point were you genuinely uh, feeling that this might go against you? And I just want your observations and your commentary on the decisions that were made in terms of closing Westminster and bringing the triumvirate of the three Westminster leaders up and the vow and the vow. What what, what are your thoughts? I've I've always wanted to ask you that. I understand. I I mean, I I don't know. I'm not a big fan of telling tales out of rooms that you're in. I think that's how you stay in in rooms that you want to be in. But um, I I mean, I I don't think uh, it is a secret particularly that I thought that we're going to call off or not call off PMQs, but we're going to have our deputies do it while we all run to Scotland for half an hour for a bit of leafleting, was anything other than a stupid idea that made it look as if we were panicking. And we shouldn't have been. Uh, We should have been absolutely projecting the idea that if you want it, you have to vote for it, or your voices need heard, and reinforce that. But but I think the three of them getting on a train was was daft and, I think, counterproductive. Um, I, I think if you talk to people within uh better together um and we're kind of talking about paul and, and other people that had a, a line in to, to labor who's, who's um, paul sorry ruth uh, so he was Joanne Lamont's spin doctor a former uh, editor of the daily record uh, that also ca- did quite a lot of the liaison with gordon brown's office uh, and uh, and stuff like that and and also because of that ed Miliband, who who was the leader at the time but 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 was a bit of a a, a gordon brown whisperer mm-hmm. um and Gordon was going to front up some of the vow stuff and it was going to go in the record and all the rest of it. I, we had a conversation out in the stairs um, where I, I was like, like you, you have to call this off. Like, like you have to call this off. Because I, I, I thought that, one, we didn't need it, uh, and two, that it would hang around our necks and could... It was so vague as well. There was nothing... Po- there was no concrete policy in it that that it would just be used as a stick to beat us with for, for a very long time. Um but, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, everybody thinks they're a hero in hindsight. I, I don't think I was wrong about either of these two things. I still don't think I was wrong about either of these two things. But, you know, we are where we are. And, and, and all this time later, when it comes to referenda, a, a 10-point win actually looks pretty healthy these days in comparison with other things. Uh, there were that- more stuff I was proud of on the night. Um, both, 
I, I don't know what happened in the Dundee count, but Dundee and Glasgow were the two biggest ones. Mm. Um, and there were points wherein yes could have gone ahead on the night and i spoke to gordon matheson at the count in glasgow which is where i was uh going because it, it you know it, it was obvious that glasgow had gone because you could see in the totals when you're watching at counts and if you've got a, a history of being able to, to look at counts i was like right, we cannot have we must like recount everything we must make doubly sure we must take the time that we need to take blah 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 blah. and i was, I was trying to get him to slow the count down because <laughs> depending on when glasgow announced yes could have come ahead in the night and and i was thinking like oh the symbolism of this we could, we could have like the the 2 33 a.m club and all this sort of this time when Scotland was free and then it was stolen from us and all this other sort of stuff. <laughs> and, and at no point, it was really interesting, at no point did yes go ahead on the night in the tally of votes. Yeah. Never. At any point was it ahead. And um, what was really interesting about that is um, it could have been done by Glasgow and it could have been done by Dundee. And I don't know what happened at the Dundee <clears throat> count. I wasn't there. I haven't spoken to people that are there uh, apart from Jenny Mara, but she had no idea what was going on either. But there was three fire alarms in the Dundee count that night. That. Yeah. There was three fire alarms. Yeah. Nobody knows who set it off. Nobody knows what happened. I have no idea what happened about it. And I just I just wonder, like, I don't know if somebody else was, was making those same connections at the same time or, or <laughs> it was just wild because some of the counts were wild, some mm. of the stuff that was happening there. But yeah, but yeah. yeah. so there you go. That's well, really listen, I, I tell you, we, we, we do need to do, though, whether I would love to have you back, Ruth, but we <laughs> yeah, do need to do a referendum, <laughs> a referendum special. <laughs> <laughs> because there are so many stories I'd love to share about that from one side, and I'd love yeah, to well, hear the thing the is, other. I will happily sit down, Jeff, and I will share every single story from our side with you over a pint, anytime, anywhere, but I'm not putting them on the radio. Oh, come along. <laughs> not putting what? them on a podcast. Come not on, a Ruth. chance. Not a chance. On a podcast, though, just on, on the vow, Ruth. Um, yeah. And just again, for the benefit of listeners outside of the political bubble, the vow was the commitment by the three Westminster leaders of the three unionist parties to enhance devolution further that effectively then led to the Smith Commission and the latest Scotland Act of, of 2016. Um, and it was done three days before the referendum in the Daily Record. And you can ask three different people if the vow had an effect or not, and you'll get seven different answers to it. And I don't think really we'll ever properly know exactly what impact or not the vow had. But if the vow, in your view, Ruth, had been made three years before rather than three days before, and if it had been properly scoped uh, and, um, you know, if it, if it was seen to mean something, if it was seen that the, the, the no vote meant this new thing, do you think that would have made a difference or... Do you just not think the actual yeah no no the, well, the, the thing, meat of the, it mattered at all? Yeah, well, I mean, even if you remember the context, there was there was stuff that hadn't come in yet from the last time we looked at the Scotland Act, so it was really important. I fully understand, accept, and agree with the idea that no couldn't mean no change ever. Mm. Like it couldn't. Mm -hmm. Like that was never that was never going to be a, a vote winner for us. Um, we, we always had to show that there was going to be some form of development, but three days before with nothing in it, as yeah. like it was just. I, I, I mean, it was. It looked desperate. like a panic, desperate. desperate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what totally it looked like. Yeah. And that's what it was, as far as I could yeah. tell. Um, and, and as far as I, I remember at the time. But but yeah, I mean, if this had been scoped out 12 months in advance and we were looking at it, we were looking at further powers. And, and, and you know, when the Smith Commission came in, I was, a, I was a staunch supporter of it. I'd already brought in some stuff when I came in as leader in terms of the Strathclyde Commission of how we updated our review as a party. Because as a party, when I became leader, the policy I was um, handed was that we didn't agree with the idea of a Scottish Parliament. 
that we would have been pre-devolutionists, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we had to update all of that and had to look at, at how we became comfortable with devolution and in that context and how we looked at the development of devolution. And we'd done a lot of internal work on that, which I, I had other people scope and lead, um, but, but that was kind of, at, in a sense, at, at my kind of direction and, 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 and nudging that we needed to do um, because we couldn't, we mm -hmm. couldn't the DUP but with a tartan badge like we, we couldn't you know so so yeah so I absolutely agree that we had to show that no wasn't no change but you don't do it three days before and, and whack it on the front of one paper and and have no briefing on it and don't have anything in it I'll tell you this guys had Labour came to the, the, the party with a robust additional powers message at the start of the referendum campaign and 2012-2013, yes vote would not have got off the ground mm. uh, to the same extent that it did. I've always felt that. We were looking every day at what Labour were doing. Less so the Tories for obvious reasons. Uh, couldn't believe it when they went in with the bet together in the way that they did and were rubbing our hands. And uh, I do want to explore this in detail at another podcast because honestly, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Do you know what? It was a lot of fun actually for me anyway. I yeah. Do you know, I, I love Better life. Together. I loved working cross party. I know people on the, the other side that loved working with Greens and people of no party affiliation on the Yes campaign and, and all the rest of it. I, I really did enjoy that collaborative politics. But I, I think, Jeff, the, the thing that was so surprising to me was we went into Better Together with the kind of belief system and the thought that the Tories would help to provide the money and the donors and Labour would provide the boots on the ground and the structure and all these constituencies that we'd not been at the races in, in years. And when we got there, there was nothing. There was no Labour apparatus. Wow. So they were weighing votes and seats. Um, you know, we thought they were weighing them in seats because they had such a great operation. They had nothing. They had no operation because they didn't need to because they'd always been weighing votes. Uh, and the only two that really had an operation that was worth shouting about was uh, in sort of Helen's Bra and Weston Bartonshire, which is where Jackie Bailey had to fight all the time, uh, and was uh, Jim Murphy and Eastwood. They were the only two constituencies in the country that had a proper functioning campaigning wing and arm that knew what they were doing. And we couldn't believe it. And, and that was one of the things that gave me confidence coming out of uh, 2014, that we can absolutely overtake Labour. Because mm. up until then, I thought, you know, I grew up in a, a Scotland where... Labour were unassailable. Mm. You know, it was it was a hegemony. Like I, I, I thought Absolutely. there was no way we could overtake them. And, and then I came out of that, and I was like, <laughs> "Come on, lads, game is on. <laughs> these these this, these guys have got nothing. They've yeah. got nothing. Like we can absolutely yeah. take them." And if I hadn't seen behind the curtain. I don't think I would have had the belief and I wouldn't have been able to lead the campaign that we did and I wouldn't have believed... I don't think I would have allocated resources in the way that I did. I, don't, I think so many decisions would have changed if I hadn't seen what I'd seen about how hollowed out the Scottish Labour Party was. Utterly fascinating. fascinating. And I think, uh, um, Callum, on that note, um, is it safe to say that at Holyrood Sources podcast, we're all better together? It's the only time you'll get me <laughs> to say that. Somebody the only, time, that. The only oh. time you'll get me to say that. That is, that is Jeff Aberdeen on the, say, on the 18th of April. Go on, Ruth. Can I, can I just say in, re in return to Jeff, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and can I just say, you'll, yeah, that you'll not get anybody from Labour saying that. Wow, what a moment. Goodness me. Uh, right, I think that probably on that note, that does it. <clears throat> Ruth, thank you very much. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you for joining Brilliant. us on the podcast. And, uh, well, our solemn vow on which we will end this episode is that we will do a Jeff's independent special at some point. Ruth Davidson's involvement, T I think it's safe to say TBC. TBC. 
Yeah, put me down as an undecided. Right, undecided, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth, thank you so much. Jeff, Andy, thank you guys as well. Uh, make sure you follow the podcast and subscribe, please. We've got lots more like this to come every single week in your podcast feed. You can email hello at hollywoodsources.com to get in touch and we'll speak to you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.